Good evening, everyone. Okay, so, you know, boot camp is designed to, like, wear you out. So just go with it. <laughs> um, we're going to um, pick up where we left off uh, this morning on our study of uh, the, great, the great controversy theme. So... Uh, what I'll do, I'll just give a little time for everyone to get settled. People are moving in, moving out. And then we'll pray, we'll review a little bit. That's what we'll do. My notes are in the, uh, the binder here. So, let's do a little bit of a review. And I'm not going to pray yet. We're going to review. And then once we're all settled, we'll pray and continue on with, uh, with our presentation. So, um... We are looking at a study of the great controversy theme, and we noted that we, we wanted to tell our students, show our students, that it is impossible to understand the Bible in totality um, until we understand what? Help me out here. The, the blue... Prints. And what is the blueprint? The blueprint is the sanctuary. Okay? Um, say again. The plan of salvation, the blueprint, reveals the entire plan of salvation. And so, um, one of the first things that we did in our study was showed that uh, Lucifer was called a what? A covering cherub. And we picked up on that, on that thought, and we went to the book of Exodus 25 to see just what a covering cherub was. What is a covering cherub? An angel who stood where? In the, uh, in the very presence of God, he was one of two angels that covered what? The mercy seat, and what was beneath the mercy seat? The law of God. So, what conclusions did we come to? That the law of God is the foundation of God's throne. And all government must be based or founded upon what? Upon law. Any government that is not founded upon law is a government in which you will have chaos and anarchy. That's something very easy and very simple for uh, a, um, someone who's studying the Bible to understand. So... <clears throat> we, have, uh, we have the word of God uh, telling us that Lucifer was a covering cherub and that this covering cherub stood in the very presence of God, stood over the law of God. The Bible says that Lucifer was perfect in his ways until what? Iniquity was found in him. What is iniquity? It is sin. And what is the definition of sin according to the Bible? transgression of the law. Therefore, we understand that the very law that Lucifer should have been standing over, guarding, protecting, he begins to do what? To turn against that law. Now, how does Lucifer deceive one-third of holy, intelligent angels? Does he say to them, let's go be evil? No. He bases an argument, he places an argument that states this, 
We can be like God. We don't need what? A law to dictate to us what righteousness is. That was the argument. And that is still the argument. Laws are for slaves. We're free. By the way, how many of you remember Korah's rebellion? Remember the story about Korah's rebellion? What was Korah's argument to Moses? Why are you lifting yourself up above all the people? Don't you see that we are all what? Holy. Holy? Korah's rebellion is a snapshot of the rebellion that took place in heaven. It was that exact thing. It was Lucifer saying, we are already holy. We don't need a law dictating to us what righteousness is. Do we hear that argument today? Yes, we do. We see uh, non-Christians saying, we don't need a law. We don't need God in order to be holy. We can be good without God. And then we find Christians using that same argument. We don't need a law to be like Jesus. We can be like Jesus without some law telling us how to do that. We're not under the law. We're under grace. grace. What are you doing as you, as you take your Bible study student through this process? You're preparing them to receive all the truths of the word of God. You're setting them up in one study to get all the principles that they will, that they will need so that when you discuss all the other subjects, the rapture, the second coming, the state of the dead, hellfire, uh, the millennium, they will already have the seeds, uh, um, the, the, the truths, the principles, the theme necessary to understand what you're saying when you share it. Does that make sense? Why didn't God judge the angels? The Bible tells us that Lucifer and one-third of the angels were cast out. Why didn't God judge the angels immediately? Come on, what do we need? Whenever a controversy rises between two parties, there must be a third party. And in heaven, there was no third party. It was God and his angels versus the devil and his angels. And so God creates a third party. Who is that third party? Who is that jury that is to judge Lucifer and his angels? Humanity. We are the kings. When Lucifer said, I will lay, God said, I will lay you before kings. We are the kings that God will use as the third party. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, tell us, know ye not that the saints will do what? Judge angels. So Lucifer discovers, oh, wait a minute. Are these the ones that are to judge me? Well, what's my plan? What's his plan? I'm going to what? Bribe the jury. And how does he do that? He comes to them with the same argument he did to the angels in heaven. Do you want to be more like God? You can be more like God without obeying what God said. Same argument. Why did he use that argument anyway? I want you to notice something that that Lucifer used a good desire to lead to evil. Why? Because Adam and Eve had no natural tendencies to sin in them, did they? So he had to use something good. Don't you want to be more like God? Who doesn't want to be more like God? 
I mean, come on, we all want to be good like God. Don't you want to be like God? You can really be like God if you just eat from this tree. He used a good desire to produce an evil result. Okay? So, as a result of this, God comes to the garden and um, he gives Adam and Eve a promise. What is that? That, well, well first of all, we know that, at, that at, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, the result was that they would what? Yeah. Die. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is what? Death and sin is transgression of the law. So the same thing that Lucifer did in heaven, we can, we can show that Adam and Eve did in the garden. And as a result, they are put out of the garden just as Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Do you see, do you see the connections that you want to make there for your contact? Sin leads to separation from God. What is sin? Transgression of the law. Therefore, and you want to you keep bringing this point up to your contact. He or she may have no idea where you're going, and they shouldn't at this point. But you want to you get your contact to understand, listen, whatever happens, we, we know one thing. Sin leads you away from God. And so no matter if the reason to sin looks good or evil, the result is that it will lead you from God. And what is sin, Bible student? It's transgression of the law, they will tell me. And so I say, say, I say good. Listen, if someone tries to convince you that the law of God's been done away with, what are you going to say? And I'll let my Bible student answer. This is our first study now, remember? And I'm just saying, based on what we've seen, if someone were to tell you, yeah, we don't need the law of God, ha, huh, what would you say? And I just let him answer. And sometimes I wish I had a recorder. <laughs> you know, remember, I'll say, remember that point because that is going to be crucial. This is what the controversy is over. It is over, and sometimes I won't even say the law. I'll say the controversy is over the foundation of God's government. And what do they understand that to mean? The law of God. Why? Because all government must be based upon law, right? Okay? <clears throat> so, so we then understand that the, 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 the plan of salvation, God comes to the garden and he says, I'm going to send the Messiah. What is the purpose of the Messiah? To restore us to being what? Sound jurors, right? Now, your contact is sitting there and... Um, I guess the message has started already and I haven't prayed. So let's pray while we're at it. Heavenly Father, please give us understanding as we continue to study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, Jesus comes to restore us to being what? Sound jurors. Law-abiding jurors. Jurors that are able to discern between what? Right and wrong, and jurors who will not be swayed by public opinion. You want to you wanna put upon your student the, the incredible sense of honor. 
to serve as a juror in the Supreme Court of Heaven. And you also want to let them understand, listen, as a juror, look, you disqualify yourself if you say, how can I know the truth? You disqualify yourself if you say, well, there's no difference between good and evil. And you disqualify yourself if you claim that the very foundation of God's throne is not legitimate. Because that's what speaking against the law is saying. You're saying the foundation of God's throne is not legitimate. You are arguing on the devil's side. Remember. The devil was a master politician. I'm going to do something that's really going to, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't ask that. Um, how many of you in here, I know that we have no Republicans and Democrats in this room. <la> yes, we're all Christians. <laughs> But I want to I ask you something. Do you see how the Republicans will argue one thing and they just know that they're right? And the Democrats will argue another way and say, no, 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 no. That's not the way to run the government. This is the way to run the government. Do you see how divisive it can be? And both sides claim to be doing what is right for the country? I want you to realize that that's what took place in heaven. It was that kind of an argument. Lucifer saying, listen, this government needs to be reformed. Too much government. <laughs> Don't start to, pastor, what are you? Please. <laughs> but, but understand what his argument was. Government is being intrusive in our lives. We, we should be free. We don't need these laws getting into how we choose to run our lives. And so you can begin to understand how convincing an argument like that might sound. And so I say to my contact, listen, if the devil could deceive one-third of holy, intelligent angels, right? <clears throat> Where did this deception take place? In heaven. In heaven. Where did Lucifer say he wanted to sit upon? The mount of the what? Congregation. So, so listen to this then. One, what is, when you think of a congregation, what do you think of? Church. A church. Guess where the rebellion took place? <laughs> In a church. A church of angels. One-third of holy, intelligent angels, let, let's put it this way, the first church split. <laughs> took place in heaven. And the argument was one of self-righteousness. Okay? What I'm doing for you right now, now forget about the Bible student, what I'm doing for you right now is I'm trying to paint the movie, if you will, in your minds. Do you understand? Because if you can juice this down and give this to your student, you're helping him or her to see this controversy so that as you work your way through the rest of your studies, they are with you at every point. They may even jump ahead of you and go, oh yeah, I know why that can't be because remember the rebellion in heaven? 
You understand what I'm saying? That If you're training your student correctly, he should be jumping ahead of you going, oh yeah, well, this has to be so because if this were not so, then that would, you get the picture? Okay, so, um, the plan of salvation then is that Jesus has come to save his people from their, Sins. what is sin? Transgression. Transgression of the law. See that? Jesus has come to save us from doing the same thing Lucifer did in heaven. And what did Lucifer do in heaven? He transgressed God's law. And we get, jump down to Revelation 22, verse 14 and 15, which says, Blessed are they that do what? His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. So look what we've done. We started where? In heaven past. And we just took our Bible study student all the way to the book of Revelation, showing that one consistent theme throughout the book. See? Now, here's what I didn't get to cover this, this morning. I want you to notice, I'm going to show you here a diagram of the sanctuary. Can you see the picture there? Everyone see that picture? This is very important for you to share with your Bible study students in this particular study. You want to show them the diagram of the sanctuary. This diagram is the blueprint. You want them to see this picture. You can get a picture of the sanctuary and go online, type in a you know, type in uh, temple or sanctuary. You can get a picture, just download it off the internet. I think this is included in your package. Is it? Okay, it is good. And so what you're going to see here, and you all are pretty familiar with this. If you're not, it's very easy. Think of this like God. You ever seen hieroglyphics? And you're like, what are these symbols saying? Okay, think of this as God's code. Before the Bible was complete, it's almost like this was the first Bible. This was the Bible before the Bible was fully written. The Bible is an expounding of the very principles found in it. This is the Bible juiced. Did you, did you, are you with that? This, the sanctuary is the Bible juiced. It is concentrate. Okay, so what do we have here? Uh, you, you, first of all, you have the gate that led into the outer court. And in the outer court, you have the altar of burnt offerings. Okay, now what happened here? What would we say this is symbolic of? It's symbolic of the cross of Christ. Okay, you tell your student, listen, Jesus died for our sins. This is where the animals were slain. And they usually get that right off the bat. And so you point, you point out here that this represents the place where Jesus died, the cross. What about the basin, the wash basin? When you, when you, you know, share with your... And by the way, you can find all this in Exodus chapter 40. The, the exact outline or layout of the sanctuary. So the wash basin is where the priests would wash their hands and feet. And what does washing symbolize in the word of God? It represents cleansing or baptism. Very good. So we've got the cross. We've got baptism. What about the table of showbread? Table of Shobrek represents the word of God. What about the altar of incense? Now, all this is found in the where? In the holy place. So the altar of incense, what, is, what is, does that represent? Prayer. Very good. You guys got this. Excellent. And then the seven-branch candlestick, what does that represent? Okay. It represents the Holy Spirit. Uh, how about this? The Bible says, um, let your... Yeah, it says uh, a city set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a what? Candle, Candle and put it under a bushel. And then he goes on to say, uh, uh, let your good works 
Let your light shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the seven-branched candlestick represents our witness to the world. It, it, it is symbolic of witnessing, of letting your light shine, showing who you really are as a Christian. And then you get into the most holy place, and what do you have there? The Ark of the Covenant with the two covering cherubs. Okay? And so here's what I like to do with my, with my Bible study contact. I like to show them, listen... That this is the blueprint is so amazing. There are so, this, this chart is so rich with gospel information. I will share with them, for example, that if you were to look at the outline of the articles of furniture, if you were to just draw a line around this thing, what would you have? You'd have a cross. Isn't that amazing? You don't sound convinced. <laughs> and uh, if you were to look at the places of these articles of furniture where they were placed you will notice that Jesus was wounded in one of those places in other words in every place that the that, uh, article of furniture is Jesus received a wound so if you would consider this his feet left hand right hand crown of thorns Jesus died of a broken heart and you know what the priest did here when blood or dust or whatever was on their hands they would go and wash their hands you would have water mingled with blood guess what happened when they pierced Jesus in his side water and blood comes flowing out of his side we begin to see the sanctuary as the blueprint what you're trying to do is get your bible student to trust what the blueprint, because the blueprint will not lie, right? And, and, and we're going to show that God saves his people through this very process. So consider with me, if you will, the nation of Israel. Do you remember the first thing God told Israel to do when he was about to lead them out of captivity? What did he tell them to do? To kill a lamb. Where would that be on this, on this uh, chart? Altar of? Sacrifice. What happened next? They put, the blood. they put the blood on the post and they, you know, they, they were led out of Egypt. Amen? But when they're led out of Egypt, Pharaoh gets angry, changes his mind, and comes chasing after them. What happens? They cross through the what, everyone? The Red Sea. At this time, your Bible students' eyes are beginning to light up. Wow. Because what does that basin represent? Baptism. They cross over the Red Sea, and what's the first thing that God does after they cross over the Red Sea? In Exodus 16, he does what? He rains down manna. Ah. <laughs> right? What is that? The table of showbread. In the very next chapter, I believe it's Exodus 17 or 18. I'm, I can't remember which one it is. But God declares Israel to be his holy nation, his royal people. What might that represent? The seven-branch candlestick. You are my witnesses to the world. I am now declaring you my royal nation, my holy priesthood. In the very next chapter, I think it's either chapter 18 or 19, Moses tells the children of Israel, look, God is about to come down. I want you to spend three days preparing your hearts. Mm, Altar of incense. Amen. 
Why? Because in Exodus 20, is anybody, anybody need some antiacids? All right, do you see that? You're trying to get your student to have confidence in this blueprint. Uh, Jesus was uh, born. Remember this altar sacrifice represents his sacrifice. Jesus coming to this earth represents, as a human, represents his what? Coming to die for our sins. We might say that Jesus was born on the altar of sacrifice. He was born ready to die. In fact, he was born where? In a manger surrounded by animals. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, so we know that Jesus came to die for our sins. At the age of 30, Jesus is what? Baptized. After he's baptized, the Bible says he is led up. Where? Into the wilderness. Where he's tempted how many times? What was the first temptation? Turn this stone into what? (laughs) No, no, okay. What was the second temptation? Throw yourself down and call out to God. He will save you. Presumptuous prayer. Third temptation? Look, I know you want your seven-branch candlestick. I know you want it. You don't have to die for your people. Look, just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you your people. You don't have to die. And Jesus overcomes all three of those temptations, and then guess what he goes on to preach? The law of God combined with his mercy. So, here's what you've just done. You've just given your Bible student confidence that they can trust this map. Why? Because they've seen the way God what? Operates. This is how God saves people. And then I share with them, listen, in our daily lives, this is your blueprint. You must do what? You want to be saved? What do you have to do? You have to accept Jesus Christ at the cross. Amen? Amen. Is that right? And I'll say to my student, now let me ask you something. Have you ever heard, so if someone says to you, listen, all you have to do is accept Jesus and you, everything is all right. What do you think about that? And they'll look at me and they'll look at that chart and they'll go, that's wrong. And I say, why do you say that's wrong? And they'll say, because that teaching eliminates all of this. Do you see? You're leading your student to learn how to read the blueprint for him or herself so that they will know without a shadow of a doubt, no, that can't be true because it goes against this. So I say to my student, okay, so a a person who who accepts Christ, is he just everything good now? Anything else needs to be done? And they say, yeah, they have to be baptized. Excellent. What are they doing now? They're filling in the blanks for me. I am the student. You are the teacher. And I'll say to them, man, you are a great teacher. (laughs) 
They are now teaching me. So, okay, so if a person says, all I need to do is accept Christ and be baptized, and that's it, am I good? And they'll say, no, no good. And I'm like, why? And I'll go to the next one. Oh, they have to study the word of God. A true Christian will be found eating the word of God. And I'll say, you got it. So you mean then that all I need to do is to... <laughs> okay. Man, how do I keep doing this? Okay, all I have to do is uh, accept Jesus at the cross, be baptized, and study the word, and that's all? And no, that's not all. And you get the picture. You also have to what? You got to pray. You got to witness. And then I'll say, ultimately, where is God trying to lead us back to? Right into his presence. And I'll say, but you know what? Some people want the presence of God, but when they find out what the foundation of his throne is, they say, oh, no, thank you. You see, what this chart does is it, it gives your Bible study contact. It tells him unequivocally. It gives him the entire plan of salvation. This is what I must do if I'm truly. And they'll say, well, what if you die when you're like here on the chart? And I'll say, look, God judges us based off of our knowledge. You know, there are people who haven't come to this knowledge. You know, they may have just gotten here and praise God, they died. They didn't have time to get baptized. God judges you based on the, on the sincerity on what you know and do you follow what you know. I say some people are camped out here saying, this is all I need and nothing else matters and I'm all right. And what happens to that person? They say, well, yeah, obviously they have ceased to follow God's will. Okay, so let me see if I can do this. In the, in the time remaining. Actually, yeah, that was the longest recap in the world. I'm sorry. Um, so what you have here is the entire plan of salvation, the theme laid out from beginning to the ending. Now, through the rest of your studies, here's what's going to happen. You are going to begin to unfold the very thing that you began to speak about in your first study. What I'm going to cover next is not your second study. I'm going to combine, I'm going to lay out for you the picture of what you want to present through, for your contacts uh, through the rest of your studies. You got to get the whole picture in your mind. We just gave our contact like, you know, from the fall of Lucifer uh, and we focused upon that fall to the fall of Adam and Eve on earth and what, what the controversy is over. It's all over the law of God and the what? The blueprint, right? So now, when we get to the prophecies of the book of Daniel, and um, you have a sheet here. In fact, I think I have it up here. Here we go. Let me see how quickly I can do this. How many time prophecies are there in the Bible, really? I'll tell you. There are really three significant Bible. How many of you have ever been confused about the time prophecies in the Bible? I mean, you know what they are, but it's like, okay, the 12th, and what is this really, and what is this here for? There is a storyline even in the prophecies themselves. And the reason why many of us are kind of fearful to like give a study on these time prophecies is because we're like, well, what point is this like really, 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 really proving? I want to share with you in the context of our our great controversy theme, of our theme of the blueprint, all these time prophecies have to do with the blueprint. So, 
There are three basic time prophecies in the, in the Bible. They are the 70-week prophecy from 457 to when? 34 AD. Who knows what this period talks about? It talks about when Jesus, you know, would come as the Messiah. You remember that prophecy? Okay. But that prophecy is a shorter, is um, a smaller part of a much bigger prophecy, which is the what? 2300-day prophecy, which ends in where? 1844. There is another prophecy called the 1260-year prophecy that begins in 538 A.D. and ends in when? 1798 A.D. So if you look at the two upper prophecies, you'll see that they both fall in the time span of 457 to 1844. Okay? Now you may say, Pastor, what about the 1290? Well, the 1290 ends in 1798. You might say, what about the 1335-day prophecy? That ends in 1844. So really, all these prophecies culminate with one of these three dates. Does that make sense? These are the three basic prophecies found in the book of Daniel, the three basic time prophecies found in the book of Daniel. So let me give you the theme, the storyline, if, if, if I may, in the short time I have remaining. So the 70-week prophecy deals with three things. Number one, the rejection of the blueprint and the Messiah by literal Israel. Do you see that? So watch the story then. Look, in heaven, God on his throne, Lucifer, the covering cherub, sins against God and his law. He is cast out. Then the same thing with Adam and Eve. They are brought up to be jurors, but they sin against God. They are cast out of the garden. God says, do not worry. I'm sending you a Messiah that's going to redeem you. But in the meantime, God gives, God gives to humanity the what? The blueprint that will explain to them the entire plan of salvation. He gives it in, in particular to a nation named Israel. So now Israel has the blueprint and they're moving down the field, if you will, supposed to be preparing for the coming of the Messiah. But Israel gets so rebellious that God gives a prophecy and says, listen, if you guys don't get it together in 70 weeks, I'm taking this mission out of your hands. That's what the 70 week prophecy is about. Do you get it? What happens at the end of the 70 weeks? <clears throat> The veil in the temple is rent in two, which means the earthly sanctuary has no more what? Significance. Jesus, the Messiah, is rejected, which means that Israel has rejected the blueprint and the very one the blueprint pointed to. And so the 70 week describes the transition from literal Israel to spiritual Israel and earthly temple to... Heavenly temple. Now, just stop right there. Do you get the significance now of the war from it began all the way down to the 70-week prophecy, which brings us down to the time of Jesus? Do you see that? Is it juiced for you? Yes? Nobody's answering me, sort of. Okay, good. So, so from 34 AD, we now have the gospel commission going forth. Go into all the world, spiritual Israel. Tell them about my temple in heaven, that I am now their high priest in heaven. Let them look to heaven. Right? What's the next prophecy to come? The prophecy of the what? 1260. And what happens during that time period? Spiritual Rome, who is now the enemy of spiritual Israel, 
says, hey, don't look at the heavenly sanctuary, look to us. In fact, they set up, you know how the sanctuary had a two-compartment room divided by a curtain? They said, we're going to set up our own sanctuary on earth. Our own two-compartment room with a, with a curtain dividing called a confessional booth. Come to us for forgiveness. Come to us. Oh, good. Come to us for forgiveness. Come to us for uh, uh, when you want your sins uh, uh, wiped out. Come to us. In other words, during the 1260-year prophecy, you have the rejection of the heavenly temple by spiritual Rome. You have them saying, in fact, the prophecy of Daniel 8 said that it would cast down the truth to the ground and it would practice and prosper and the place of his sanctuary would be cast down. That is, spiritual Rome would cast down, would turn men's eyes from the heavenly sanctuary to an earthly sanctuary. Uh, the distortion of truth by spiritual Rome, that's what would happen during the 1260 years. In other words, the dark ages here, the slow process of fermentation begins. You know, that's how you get wine. A slow process of what? Fermentation. The 1260-year prophecy reveals the spiritual battle because spiritual Rome is trying to destroy the blueprint and the people of the blueprint. Is all this adding up to you? An attempt to destroy spiritual Israel, we know that the dragon chased the woman into the wilderness for how long? 1260 years. And then we have the time when the book of Daniel would be unsealed. That takes place at the end of the 1260 years. So you have rebellion in heaven over the what? Over the law of God. You have rebellion coming down to earth over the law of God. You have God giving man the key that he needs, the blueprint to explain the plan of salvation and how man is to be saved. You have him giving it to Israel, but Israel becomes so rebellious against God that by the, four, by the 70 week prophecy, it is taken from them and the blueprint is given to spiritual Israel. But now the 1260-year prophecy kicks in where spiritual Rome attacks spiritual Israel and attacks the spiritual blueprint. Are you with me? So then, what is the last prophecy we're dealing with? 1844. The 2300-year prophecy. Question, what happens at the end of the 2300 years? The sanctuary is cleansed or restored. The truths that had been lost during the dark ages are regained. And the three angels' messages is now a preaching of the regained truths of 1844. So from the third angel, from, the, from 1844, the end of the 2300-year prophecy, down to the end of time is the preaching of the blueprint restored. Anybody's heart uh, burning yet? <laughs> so then, as you're giving your Bible study to, the, to, to your student, you, you're taking, when you get to the 1260-year period, that would be a good time to start studying over the next couple of weeks and months the spiritual counterfeits that began to come into the church. How about this one? You know where Daniel 7.25 says he will think to change times? 
Do you know what the time, you know that this is considered times? And this is considered times? And all these time prophecies are considered times? Do you know what the Roman Catholic Church did? They said, since everybody's interpreting these times as a day for a year, a day for a year, we're going to change the times to make it a day for a day so that they can't point the finger to us. So two schools of prophetic interpretation came up, one called futurism, which put all the prophecies into the future, day for a day, not day for a year, and one called preterism, which put all the prophecies in the past, day for a day. Nero is Antichrist, not the church. Oh, no, 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 the Antichrist comes in the future after the church has been raptured away. It's not the papacy. Where'd you get that from? The 1260-year period, in other words, as you frame your Bible studies, you're not going to talk about the three angels' messages until you get to that place in the timeline of your Bible study. Do you, do you, get, do you get that now? You're not going to talk about the millennium at the beginning of your study. You're going to talk about it after you get past 1844. And when you get to the millennium, they'll say, oh, yeah, the jury. Oh, this is where we judge... I've never seen the picture like this before. Wow, this makes sense. And every doctrine, everything that you teach, it falls into place in a particular place. You don't watch a movie, the end of the movie first, and then the middle of the movie last. You watch it in sequential order, correct? correct. Beloved, the, the best way to present the great controversy is to present it in its order. Every study, you're studying with someone for a period of three months, you want to present it to them so that they get all the pieces and are able to put it together and see, what everyone? The big picture. And when they see that big picture, there is nothing in the world that will ever convince them that this is anything, anything else. This is not error. This is not fallacy. This must be truth. Because truth is logical and truth makes sense. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us, for opening your word. Lord, we thank you for giving us as a people the blueprint. And Lord, we know that even to this day, the devil is warring against the blueprint. Why? He does not want God's people to understand the power of presenting the blueprint. Father, you have juiced the gospel for us and put it in that divine blueprint. Help us, Lord, to present that blueprint so that people who are lost and looking for direction may find their way back to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Let me mention one more thing here. One more thing. Where do, where do the angels that pour out the seven last plagues come from? The most holy place. You read Revelation 15, 5 and 6, the angels come out of the most holy place. Why? Why? <laughs> Think with me. Who is it? Who is it that the plagues are going to be poured out upon? Those who rejected what was found in the place that they're coming out of. 
<laughs> the law of they're coming out of the very place that the Ark of the Covenant is. They're coming with the plagues, and those who will receive the plagues are those who rejected the law from the place which these angels are coming from. In fact, Psalm 91 says this, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Where is the secret place of the Most High? It's in the most holy place. That's why I say get into the ark. That very same chapter says that no plague will come near them. (laughs) 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 What? We have a Noah message. Get into the ark before the plagues begin to fall. Amen. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, <laughs> thank you for showing us the beautiful symmetry of truth. Lord, may we wrap this, our minds around this truth that we may with burning hearts Present it to those who are in darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Thank you and God bless.